Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I am so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. So, just before we start this episode, I want to share with you about a new live round of my Aware Parenting Teenagers course, which is starting on the 27th of February, 2023. The course content, the 12 uh, different sections that I have, maybe it's 13 actually, um, all have videos and reflections books and other resources available. And that course is available at any time for you to access. And the live rounds last for three weeks where we have several Facebook Lives, Zoom calls, Q&As. And we also have an ongoing moderated Facebook group where we can discuss all things to do with the web parenting and applying this beautiful approach with our teenagers so that we can develop really close, connected, respectful, loving relationships with them. If you want to find more, please go to my website, awareparenting.com.au. Now let's get on with this beautiful interview. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today I'm really excited because we have Megan Clinton on the call. Megan, thank you so much for making time to come in and talk to us all and share all your wisdoms and knowings. Oh, lovely. It's so gorgeous to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. So Megan is a relational gestalt psychotherapist. That's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? An energy yes. psych- <laughs> an energy psychologist, a gestalt play therapist, and an aware parenting instructor. She brings all of her training and learnings and understandings into all the aspects of her work. She offers healing, integration, and transformation for women seeking to change the world, be that through parenting, business practice, or relationships of any nature. She offers one-to-one sessions, workshops, programs, and membership spaces to guide individuals and groups to feel and heal life experiences on a personal and professional level. She lives in South Africa with her 11-year-old daughter. So thank you so much. It's really, really lovely to talk to you. And I'm especially looking forward to hearing about your story with Aware Parenting, but also how that has fitted into all of the other trainings and understandings and frameworks that you use professionally with the clients that you work with. So let's start off by just asking a little bit about Aware Parenting and how that came into your life and what it was that that lit you up and made you want to become an Aware Parenting instructor and do this in your family. Mm, lovely question. And Yeah, so my daughter, as you said, is 11, and there's always a part of me that wishes I had found it when she was a baby and really trust in timing. So she was two, no, she was, yeah, more three, and just starting to tantrum. And somebody just went, here a couple of books, and I think you'd find them really helpful. And they were all amazing books. And one of those books was Tears and Tantrums by Dr. Letha Salter and her beautiful work. And, you know, each page that I turned, holding all my, you know, I had Gestalt play therapy before that and my psychotherapy training. And I was just like, yes, 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 yes. All the things I held with adults, she was talking about holding with children. And I'd also been given a whole lot of books that were like this, 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 and this. And I was just like, 
it just didn't align in any kind of way and put them aside and just went, I'm just going to parent from my heart as best I can. And one of the things I suppose really understanding from from psychotherapy is like meeting a child's needs early on. So that part I was like, yes, from the attachment parenting, I like, yes, all of that made complete sense. And I was like, I always felt like there was a piece missing. And so I breastfed on demand. And yes, my beautiful daughter was, as a result, holding in a lot of feelings and developed a control pattern around breastfeeding. And we spent many years working on that and it can still show up. And it's also one that I've worked for myself as well. So when I read her book, it was just, it all made so much sense in terms of her tantruming. And I was already, I never made her wrong. I recognized she had feelings, but it's just the clarity that came in of like, we're exactly the same as children as we are as adults. It only really dropped in that moment when I read her book so completely, even though I had a sense of it, it was just so powerful reading her words. And then I just got all her books and read all of them then and and started the most incredible journey of, yes, sometimes I can remember listening to my daughter. We were in a shopping center and I was feeling very resourced. I wouldn't have done it if I wasn't resourced. And she had the biggest tantrum and she wanted a dress and I wasn't willing to buy her three, just two. And I knew it wasn't about the dress. I knew it was about, you know, she was finding this opportunity to release her emotions. And we sat down and she screamed and cried. And there was part of me that always wants to demonstrate a different way of being in the world in certain places when I feel resourced and some people walk past and they were like that child needs a smack kind of thing while I was sort of lovingly responding and I was able to send that person love knowing that's probably how they had been responded to when they were younger and and that unhealed trauma is just repeating when it doesn't get healed it repeats as you so beautifully know and understand, and I'm sure so many people listening here, and then other people wanting to fix it and go, I'll buy her a dress. If you can't afford to buy a dress, I'd love to buy a dress. And being able to receive their, their beautiful love and to go, it's okay. It's actually not about the dress. She's just really upset. Something's upset her, not the dress, but something else that I haven't listened to or heard. And I so appreciate your generosity and heart. And I'm going to decline because she needs to do this. She needs to cry. And if you come back in 10 minutes, she will be this bubbly, connected, happy, delightful little human being because she's returned to her true nature. And these are just her emotions coming out. And I didn't have the length of time to say maybe all of that, but I said parts to this lovely woman because she got down close to me and actually started to connect. So I was holding her and Olivia and, and it, I haven't done that again, but I, I felt it in that moment and it was quite beautiful just witnessing everyone's different ways of responding to big emotions. And, you know, sometimes we try and make it better. Sometimes we try and make it go away. And sometimes it can be really hard staying with and really listening to what's coming up for us and for our children, listening to our children. Thanks so much for sharing that. And 
Uh, well, I mean, the first thing I was really struck by when you were talking was you trusting the timing and that you found it a bit later. And, and that was the same age that my son was when I found it as well. So my daughter had it from a much, much younger age. But I really loved how you described that when you started reading her book, every page was a yes, and, and that you saw finally somewhere the, the similarities between what you knew about adults and our needs and, and the challenges that we face emotionally, and then how that also applies to children and how beautifully Aletha describes that in her books. And I also loved how you were describing that missing piece around understanding that children have needs and understanding about attachment and so on, but this missing piece around responding to emotions. And I love that broken cookie experience that you described too and how beautifully you were modeling that. And, and it's a really great example, isn't it, of, of the, the three possible ways that we might choose to respond to a child. You know, one in that authoritarian, that child needs to be shut up and, and given a damn good hitting or whatever it is, like really quite cruel and harsh responses or that more permissive oh sweetheart let's buy her a dress and that will stop her crying or this beautiful one in the middle that is just about being present with feelings and and holding the space to listen but how hard it is and you're talking about unhealed trauma repeating for for the gentleman or, or the person who was walking past and saying you know that child needs a smack but also we can see it in in the permissive side too, of course, and I know we're going to talk a lot a lot about trauma, so I'm really looking forward to delving into that. What I'm interested to know as well, Megan, is about how you found listening to feelings initially, coming from it as a trained therapist to this work, and whether that was then an easy thing to listen to your daughter, or, and and what the differences were between obviously being a professional, having appointments where you're paid versus being a 24-hour mum where you don't necessarily get reimbursed in any way at all for your listening. I'm wondering what the differences were and, and how that process was for you. It's a lovely question and it's complex because, you know, when you listen as a therapist, you are going in with a different relationship to the person coming to you and when you are with your child as I'm sure you've had this experience as well our children touch all the unhealed parts of us constantly and repeatedly and while yes I've got all this beautiful training around listening that being a mum and having your trauma touched is excruciatingly painful a lot of the time and I found myself needing to do an extraordinary amount of processing in order to, to match her growing in the world and to match her need for emotional expression and holding. And it's complicated and it was painful and and I have grown like in the most extraordinary ways. I'm a completely different human being as a result of mothering her. And certainly not perfect, certainly trained and all these beautiful things. And then coming to being a mother, having moments where knowing my daughter will need to heal from this is kind of excruciatingly painful, especially when it's somebody, you know, I love my daughter more than anything in the world and to know that I've hurt her in some way. And sometimes in those moments of overwhelm and exhaustion, especially as a single parent, with no close relatives or anything around us. It's been at times quite hard. And and knowing all of this, I think being able to give myself the compassion for those times of when I haven't been able to respond to her in ways that are aligned with my values 
has brought a softness to both myself and also to my daughter to witness that I can repair, can come back and repair and take responsibility and not, I try and think of the word, but kind of lacerate myself for what I have done or how I've responded to her because then she's also learning and our children learn so beautifully. It's like how we respond to ourselves in those moments of harshness or when something gets so activated, we are unable to hold it and our response to our child in a way we would like to. She gets to go, oh, you know, I I can mess up and it's okay. I can have big emotions and it can be okay. Yeah, so it's a beautiful learning, I think, to witness for our children as well. Mm, I love that response. Thank you so much for sharing with such authentic realness. I think it's so helpful for people because often I think when we come to Aware Parenting, we read the books and we think the instructors are doing it perfectly or whatever. And I just think it's so helpful, particularly from you, who has all this training and all of the skills, to be able to really say, well, first of all, to, to put your finger so beautifully on, on the real crux of it, which is when you talk about how our children repeatedly touch the unhealed parts of us. I thought that was a really beautiful way of describing it. And yes, and that is excruciatingly painful for all of us. And I loved that you were so real about the fact that you have also been required to do an enormous amount of processing as you've grown, as she's grown, and in order to be able to continue to hold her her expression of feelings and to be able to hold those emotions. And of course, yeah, for all of us, there are so many times when it's overwhelming and when it is exhausting and when we we just are not able to be the parent that we want to be. So I love all that. And I really love as well what you're saying about modeling compassion to our children at hard times. I think that is just so beautiful for mm-hmm. us to show up and just say, I'm sorry, and I made a mistake, and I that was probably hurtful, and I'm here to listen, and I'm going to keep trying harder, and I'm never going to be able to be perfect, and I just think that's such a powerful thing to be sharing with them as well, and yeah, I really love that. I think it's so helpful for people to to hear that. So, were there things that you found supported you? What, what how did you resource yourself then to to be able to as much as possible be able to hold her emotional expression and, and to support her through? all of the beautiful tools of aware parenting? Mm, I think for me, the things that resourced me were finding, and I know we talk about this in a lot of places in aware parenting, is finding somebody else who can listen, finding somebody who has the capacity to listen to those younger parts that are being touched. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about supporting people and understanding trauma, because as you so beautifully said, you know, We look at instructors and we look at the books and we go, okay, I'm just going to do all these things. And actually, they actually can be quite hard to do because our trauma is being touched repeatedly. Mm -hmm. And and then we can feel like we're failing or we're not doing things properly because like, but I, I know I shouldn't get angry because this, I should be listening. So all those things that those people were doing when they walked past me, when they, you know, we can sort of get angry with our child. We can try and distract them and all the things Aletha talks about. And we find ourselves doing all the things that we wish we weren't doing to our child. We wish we were listening. And that's because our trauma is being touched and the painfulness of that. And it makes it really hard to implement what's in the books. Mm. It makes it really hard to to take all that beautiful knowledge, all that beautiful wisdom that Aletha has and put it into practice. And I think that's why I'm often talking about 
working in longer spaces. And I do that with people who come and learn from me because it gives us the opportunity to build up that safety with the person we're working with so that they can start to be more vulnerable and they can start to share what is hard and let go of some of these ideas that you were mentioning where we think, oh, that person's doing it perfectly. And we often share those moments of, look, I did this and this happened. And some of the moments that get shared less, especially in the online world, is like, actually, I responded with a lot of harshness today. And so we see more of the one side than the other. And sometimes that brings like an imbalance as to what we imagine other people are doing in the world. And that's why the resourcing is just so, so important, is that we get a place where we can go and we can express and have those younger parts of us heard and listened to in some way, whether it's a good friend, whether it's a therapist. I know I went, I carry a lot of trauma in my family lineage, in my own personal experience. So I went back to therapy again and did a lot of processing around what was coming up because what's happening between us and our child is often being mirrored from what happened between our parents and their parents and so on. And so a lot of stuff was starting to come up with my relationship with my mother. And in order to kind of separate what how I was responding and how I was responded to, I sought to actually find somebody who could really deeply hold me. And I think that's some of the growth that I've experienced in the last 10 years since she's been growing and thriving and everything has been as a result of something gets touched and then I take it somewhere and have it heard and listened to. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. So, so important, isn't it? And yeah, it's interesting because what what we're talking about is the impact of unresolved trauma on behavior. And we can see that in aware parenting, we really have to be mindful of the impact of our trauma on our behavior and the impact of our children's trauma on their behavior and then the impact of our trauma on our children's behavior too. And so it's it's a really complex, complex picture, isn't it? And I love how Aletha talks about this. And maybe we could go on now and just talk a bit about trauma some more. And I'd love to hear more of your expertise about it, Megan. We all would think of trauma as being like the big very significant, really challenging experiences that we face in our lives. And most of us have some some degree of trauma and some degree of unresolved trauma, probably all of us. But I love how Aletha also talks about the mini traumas and how these smaller experiences that our children face and that we face when we were children or or as adults too can also be experienced as, as trauma in the body and push ourselves into those same sort of nervous system responses. What would you like people to understand about trauma in terms of those sorts of things like the impact of big trauma and, and little trauma on, on us all? I love, I really love how the world is coming to a different understanding of trauma because Yes, as Aletha was talking about, we often see like earthquake, violent event happening in someone's life as being trauma. And now we're coming to this beautiful place where where there are no requirements as to what trauma is. It's like it doesn't have to be this bad in order for it to be trauma. It can be trauma. There's no boxes to be ticked. There's no requirement. And I think that takes it away. And even I would have a slightly different perspective to Aletha. I wouldn't talk about it as like big or small because a lot of the trauma that we experience 
developmentally, especially if we are being responded to by a parent who has been responded to with harshness in a lot of different ways. And this is not to make anybody wrong. There's a very big difference between that parent was wrong as opposed to they held a lot of trauma. And then the opposite side of it is not making the parent wrong, but deeply acknowledging the impact that how that parent responded to the child. So it's never denying the impact. And I think that's incredibly important to hold both when healing happens. So with trauma, trauma can happen in a whole lot of different ways. And Aletha touches on it in her book. But when we are responded to by a parent who has had a lot of complex trauma, they may make a lot of us wrong in a lot of different settings. And we may come out with feelings like we're not good enough, we're not lovable. And some of those might not be like cruel. It just might mean that the parent hasn't the ability to connect with the child. So they look away every time the child looks at them. And the child then internalizes that I'm not lovable. Because as children, as we all know, we make ourselves wrong when something happens between us and our parent. So the child then internalizes I'm not lovable. And that's one of the most significant traumas we can carry into the world. It's like, I'm not enough. I'm not lovable. I don't belong. And when we add a lot of those, there's a complexity that is brought in here. And I think sometimes in the world, when we talk about some of the things we do, and that can be more about, you know, freeze, flight, fawn, sorry, I get a little tongue twisted. It takes away some of the complexity of how we start to respond as human beings when we experience trauma, because each time we experience something, emotion comes up. We can't actually express it for some reason. Either we don't feel safe or there's not enough connection. That emotion, that experience gets locked away, gets cocooned in our body. And then when something similar happens in the present moment that is similar to the past, then it comes into the present moment to be heard and healed. And that's what's happening with the broken cookie experience that my daughter was happening. There was something similar about not getting that dress possibly, or she had a buildup of emotions, and then the past comes into the present moment. And then you can get to, to lovingly hold it. So when we talk about it as one of those kind of mechanisms, we can often lose the complexity of what we do. So we develop a whole lot of protection processes that prevent us from being hurt like we were hurt in the past. And I think when we start to really understand those protection processes, we understand trauma more. It takes us out of that nervous system discussion, which is beautiful and lovely, but I think it can lose some of the complexity of what happens when trauma occurs. That, you know, when a child's not looked at, they can take something from that that I'm not worth looking at. There's something about me that people need to turn away from. And therefore, when they become an adult, they can be terrified of being actually seen and looked at. And they will have developed a whole lot of ways to cope with not being seen. So they will turn away from the world in order to prevent the world turning away from them. And when we work with a human being and we understand those subtleties, then healing happens as opposed to going, this is what trauma is. This is how it happens. 
And then so we identify it, we have a whole lot of processes to deal with it, and then we get rid of it. And then it makes trauma wrong in some kind of way, whereas there's a beautiful wisdom to our being of protecting us when we couldn't be heard, when we couldn't be held, when there's not enough safety and we become overwhelmed and hold it in. The wisdom of those protection processes is amazing. And when we can celebrate those, they actually start to dissolve. Whereas when we get to this process where we're trying to stamp it out, we make those processes wrong. And what happens is being in being made wrong, we even validate the need for them and they become stronger and they become that lineage kind of thread becomes stronger as well. So in all the times that I talk about trauma and all the information, and I can see it in other places, bringing more of an understanding of the wisdom around trauma and our beautiful body, and also the wisdom that comes through when we heal, through our lineage, that wisdom comes through everyone who has been before us and resources us. We have more capacity when we heal, to actually receive from the outside world, whether it's nourishment, whether it's ideas or ways of being in the world, all of that, we come, that accessibility that comes with healing increases. Mm. Yes, I love that. I really love how you explain that. Thank you. I love this sense that we can really be amazed by our body's incredible capacity for healing and for protecting. And I love how that explanation that you just gave provides this really clear understanding that on the one hand, we have this powerful innate healing mechanisms or or several in order to be able to to let go and release the trauma from being stored in our bodies. But we also have these amazing, powerful protection mechanisms that are designed to keep us safe. And both play this really vital role in our in our life and in our well-being and and I love that that then allows us to have this much more compassionate view about what's going on in our body why we're having these experiences how they've protected us and how we can then bring that more compassionate gaze towards slowly unpacking it all and letting that go and like you say it's a really different perspective to one where we're like oh we've got trauma and we've got to get rid of this trauma and it's bad and we mustn't respond in these ways or we've got these control patterns and they're bad And that just creates more disconnection. And from that space, it's so much harder to heal. So I love how you describe that. Thank you. The other thing I wondered if you might explain, which uh, I've had the benefit of hearing you talk about in your beautiful mentor class, was when you talk about the different types of trauma in relation to trauma in us as individuals, trauma in in our ancestral lineage, and then more collective trauma. Are you happy to talk about those three things and give a bit of an example for people of each one and what it might look like? Yes, absolutely. I'd love to. So as you were saying, I break it up into those three parts and I break it up not because they are separate things, but I break it up to to bring a kind of deeper and clearer understanding. So I talk about personal, generational, our lineage trauma and the collective trauma, and they are all absolutely intertwined and interwoven. So there's developmental trauma. So this is what happens when we're growing up. We experience things when we're responded to by caregivers, by parents, by grandparents, our school experience, our growing up experience, how we're responded to in the world. And depending on that, there's certain traumas that can come from that. And, you know, I was giving in my mental class, and I'm happy to give one here of a very personal experience, because I think sometimes 
understanding a personal experience of someone gives us a clearer idea of what's happening. So what happened with my mum had this experience of her father coming back after being in a prison of war camp for five years. And this was the first time she met him and he had a lot of trauma and he responded to her with a lot of harshness. So he had trauma also as a child, but this, I think, put a whole nother level and layer on top of that. And so he would have feelings, I would imagine, come up in him and find them intolerable. And then he needed to put them out into the world. And he put them out onto my mum and made her wrong. And he at times beat her or shouted at her. So she learned she could never make a mistake because she never knew when he was going to get angry. So it's a bit like walking on eggshells. So she grew into an adult and a mother that could never, ever be wrong. So she would then defend, I'd go, no, but this, and she'd go, no, and sometimes make up an elaborate story in order to be right. So then I came and I have, it's very hard initially, and I've do it more and more now and it can still be hard in moments, difficulty trusting my own somatic experience because it was always made wrong. And the other part of that is I learned to be a perfectionist. So I can step into the world checking and checking and checking that I've got it right in order to not have that experience of being told I'm wrong. So this was my personal experience of being parented with a mother that was holding a lot of trauma and mental illness herself. And it was our lineage trauma as well. So it was going from me to her to my grandfather and it would have been going further back as well and my father's lineage also has a lot of trauma so they get so closely intertwined when we parent it is the threads of the past and our experiences of being parented in the present moment are all intertwined all the time and then from a collective perspective we find ourselves in the soup of trauma our world is a highly traumatized world and the world has learned certain ways of coping with that trauma. And some of those ways of coping is to develop structures in the world. And these are traumatized structures that don't value choice, don't value autonomy and agency. And so some people will find if those things have come up um, and they haven't been valued when they were younger and suddenly they bump into those collective trauma structures, they will start to rally against them. And we could see in a lot of things that have happened recently, there's like a pro or an anti and these very dualistic perspectives in the world. You're right, you're wrong. And there's very little discussion in between people who have the capacity to see both sides or hold both in the world around us. And that's as a result of the trauma that's being held. And it becomes a very, you're right, you're wrong, this is the right way, and then a shaming and making the other wrong and defending against the other. And in all of this, we see the leaders that are coming up into the world, not in all the places. You see beautiful examples, and there have been some over the last decade of people who have been able to step into these leadership roles, connected and compassionate. And in other places, we see putting power over, you know, enforcing segregation, taking rights away that have been fought for for decades. And these people are making decisions from a traumatized place because when we heal trauma, 
We make decisions from a place that is deeply connected to ourselves and the other at the same time. Mm. Yes, I love that. So, so many layers to it, <laughs> real complex mm. layers for all of us. And thanks for, for explaining it in that way. So I'm interested then to be thinking about how how we start to go about processing some of this, because as you say, there are things that, that happen to us in our very early infancy, and then there are all the other events and experiences that we have throughout our lives, and then we have the impact of yeah, our parents and the traumas that they experienced and their parents and so on. And then, like you say, we're in this cultural sort of swamp of trauma and, and uh, so many people are bonding from these places, from this unresolved trauma. So how do we go about starting this process? I mean, obviously, aware parenting and trying to raise our children with this beautiful understanding and all of these strategies to support them to heal to release, to bring compassion and understanding and kindness to, to their protective behaviors and to, to offer play and all of those kind of things. But what, what else what else can we do to start start processing this? I mean, what do you think is important for parents to really understand in, in terms of processing this and, and trying to address some of these problems that we all hold? Yeah, I think sometimes it's almost worth taking a moment to just go, mm, because it can feel so much. You know, when we look at it and what's happening to the environment, to wars and everything, and understanding this is trauma, it can feel a lot. And I think it can often leave us feeling helpless in some way, that it's hard to change anything. And I think, you know, the beautiful work that Aletha brings and all the aware parenting instructors that are holding parents and all the parents that are reading these books and changing everything is profound because when you keep the children of a society, a country safe, you keep the world safe. It changes everything. When That is one of, for me, one of the most profound things that can happen. And there are always other levels. You know, when we do our own healing as a parent, it becomes so much easier to parent in this way. It becomes, you know, we live our life in a way that's not constantly a reaction, an activation to the world around us. We can start to lead our life rather than from the past. We start to lead it from the present moment and we're there with our child. We're there in the moment of all the joy and experience and connection and we're there in the joy with our partners and our friends. So it's never a, an either or. I think it's always an and and an and and an and. And I think one of the things I'm so passionate in a lot of the work that I do is working with people that hold other people so they get to understand trauma more and they get to hold their clients so that there is that more exponential change that starts to take place. And I think the more that changes individually and in groups, there's like that ripple out that starts to happen that doesn't even necessarily require a direct contact but that ripple out of change in the world that starts to stitch and thread all these bits together that are hurt and unhealed and something starts to transform. Mm, I love that. That's so nice. And I mean, I really loved your your description of, of the profoundness of what we're doing when we're raising our children these ways and, and how, as you said, when we start to bring our healing to ourselves as parents that then allows us 
to be parenting more and more from from the present and with connection and with love and with softness and so on and then all of these beautiful techniques that we can offer our children to support them to heal too and and how doing this at an individual level and in our little micro families then has these beautiful ripples out wider and wider and wider and it is a really profound thing that we're doing so I love that you said that thank you that's so helpful is there anything else you want to say about that before we move on to talk about some of the other aspects no I think that feels complete yeah so what about things like play then because obviously you are a trained gestalt play therapist and obviously play is a huge part of aware parenting and Elisa's amazing book attachment play is such a amazing resource for parents mm-hmm. what would you like to say about play and the importance that play plays in this in this <laughs> process uh, of the alliteration so Uh, The Gestalt training is slightly different from the beautiful work that Aletha brings, and I'll talk about the differences, but there's something so present-centered that happens in play that I've always loved. I've always just had a curiosity about play because you can see when, you know, children play with each other, they're like right there. And when parents play with their children, they're right there in the moment. There's something quite magical about play. And I think also from attachment play that Aletha brings, it's sometimes easier. So, you know, when we're listening, so much is getting touched in us. It can be, you know, we can be holding so much. And in order to to lessen what somebody's struggling, the specific thing someone's struggling with, play can be like this beautiful introduction, this easy way to go in and recognize that Laughter is a way that can release not all emotions, the deeper ones definitely take listening and release, but the lighter emotions can be released with play. And I think it's profound for people to recognize that and then a beautiful step that then can go, ah, and then listening. Now I can listen because I've seen the difference that doing something makes and I feel a little bit more resource having played myself and kind of laughed and released something and recognized that there's a similarity between tears and raging and tantrums to laughter. So it's like, I love the beautiful step that it can take for parents. And those just infant in my experience, my daughter and I went through, she went to school or nursery school. We moved cities and she couldn't find friends. So she said to me, I think I need to go to school to find friends. So really deeply trusting her knowing, we went into school and had two years that weren't particularly enjoyable. And I can remember her first or second day she came flying out of the classroom and just screamed and tantrumed and hit me and everything. And over the years, that started to escalate as her her choice, her agency and her autonomy, all these, this free will, this delight in this world, this wanting to do this, connect with this person, talk. She was made to sit down as a little three and a half year old, four year old and not speak or was separated from her best friend and all these things. And so she started to hit me and we played because the amount of rage coming at me, I didn't, I wasn't resourced enough to handle that because it was being repeated on a daily basis. So play was profound for me. And the difference within 
six months. She was her beautiful, loving, connected part. And the reason it was so slow is because she was actually still at school. And as I watched her heal, I was saying to my mother the time, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to be doing this for the rest of her school years, I feel like it, because she's going to get something from me and something so different from the school environment. And this is not about making schools wrong. Lots of parents need to send their kids to school. I think it's just recognizing that some schools have yet to realize the importance of really holding children and the importance of listening to their emotions. So yes, we found it incredibly helpful and and journeyed out of the school environment as a result. And then I suppose sort of the difference for me in terms of play with the Gestalt play therapy. So the Gestalt play therapy Children, when they come for therapy, don't come in as we know they don't in aware parenting and go, Mommy, you, when you said that, you hurt me then and I feel this. They come, oh, I hate you, or they kick something or something happens. And so in play therapy, it's, it's finding a way for them to express what they need to express to the therapist through play. So non-directive child-centered play is one of the ways and also one of the ways Aletha talks about as a central premise and Aletha did a lot of work with Oaklander and so Gestalt play therapy comes from Oaklander so there is there's that beautiful connection in their knowing and they're working together years ago so some of it will be clay work that I will do with a child and the child will just play and move something and we get to talk you know what's happening what does it feel like when you touch the clay we always talk so we're always talking from a present place and what is needed to be held or heard comes up in the present moment so a child will start to do a dinosaur and then they'll go you know I'm really scared of the dinosaur and and the dinosaur doesn't want to do this and it's like wow what's happening with the dinosaur Where's it going? What's happening? And then the child will start to impose whatever is happening on their life into the story of the dinosaur. And so it's it's finding different modalities, whether it's drawing or I love doing sand tray work where children get to pick 10 pieces and put them in the tray and then make a story out of them. It's finding a way for them to express something through a more playful approach that is easier for them then a more cognitive one that even as we become more traumatized, we go more into this cognitive space. So adults can even benefit from, and I work often with adults. With those, you know, we call it art therapy as we become teenagers and adults, but effectively it's the same thing. Mm. Yes, yeah, so powerful, isn't it? And yes, I think the way you were describing that, the, the presence and the connection that, that we get through play and how it can be so much easier for parents than listening to feelings because we are less likely to re- have those reactive experiences when we're playing that we do. Although, of course, many of us uh, didn't receive play and many of us have got lots of stories and painful core beliefs and, and painful traumatic memories about play in relation to play as well and not getting our needs met with play. But when we do recognize that the role of laughter in releasing feelings, it can be so helpful for us to to bring more laughter into our lives. And as you say, then that allows us to, to release some of those feelings as well as to enjoy that sort of more lighthearted connection with our children. And of course, yeah, I appreciate the the distinction between what you're doing in therapy versus what, what we're describing doing at home. But essentially, 
it's the same thing because it's allowing children to take the lead to explore what's going on and what's painful for them through through these different types of play with support so yeah I love that thank you I love that you bring that part because play can be painful as well because a lot of us weren't played with and I think that's so important to recognize as well it can be easier and at other times it can be really painful and hard as well Thank you for bringing that in. And that lovely thread that you bring between the two is in both situations, we're looking and supporting children to be able to release and to heal. Mm. Yeah, such a beautiful, beautiful tool to, to bring to our families, isn't it? I'd love to ask you about some of the other aspects of aware parenting. I'm aware of the time, so I'm, I'm, I won't keep you too much longer. But just to ask you about things like loving limit, how has that process been in your family, offering limits to Olivia when you see that she's got accumulated feelings? You gave that example in the supermarket when she was little and you gave her the, the limit. How's your journey been with that process? Because it's not easy to offer and, and clients often talk about finding it really difficult and you know, having blurred edges around limits and finding it hard to hold them and that kind of thing. What's your experience been like with that? My experience has been it's complicated for me because my yes and no wasn't respected in ways. So I came with my own desire always also to to give her everything she wanted of you know having not had much myself I wanted to meet all her needs and do everything and then recognizing in those moments there were times that it wasn't about the need and for me because it was so blurry myself to recognize those points and particularly with she developed a control pattern around food And I was just like, how do I tell when she's hungry and when she's got emotions? And even today, I can still at times go, I'm not sure. And because of my own experience and some of the parts that are still unhealed in me, it can be excruciatingly painful for parents. And I know it has been in myself of saying no and not being sure Mm -hmm. uh, as to what you're saying no to. And going, what if it is something she's really needing and I'm saying she can't have it? And also then trusting she will find another time to heal from that. But it can be excruciatingly painful. And I think that was the one thing with food is like she'd get into bed and she'd go, I'm starving. And what she really had were a lot of accumulated emotions. So for me, some of the time in those moments where it was really hard to say, or set a loving limit, I would find ways when I recognized they were coming up to start to play with her first. Mm -hmm. And then for that to be clearer about when it's a need and when it wasn't so that I could tell that she didn't have as many unprocessed emotions. So when she said, I'm hungry, I was like, okay, she is hungry. And that gave me more reassurance and recognizing When she said, I'm hungry, what that looked like, and when she said, I'm hungry, and she had accumulated feelings. So the play helped me to differentiate the two because I think it can be hard. And then I, you know, Letha talks about all of this, that there can be a more desperate kind of way of asking for something when they're feelings. Then it's like, I need it now. Give it to me now. I've got all these feelings. I need to, you know, hold them in as opposed to like, I'm hungry, mum kind of thing. 
and still just seeing those because they can still be a little bit it doesn't need to be that desperate and my daughter has had a lot of feelings listened to so even when the edge was kind of getting quite close together it could still be hard for me because it was like is she isn't she <laughs> so I think that can be one of the hardest things well certainly my experience is finding that and being able to to sit with it you know at times when there isn't any trauma in me and it's about something completely different like it's not about food that's been some of my experience and holding in of my own emotions then I can just go oh yeah when it's asking for lots of toys in a shop or something then I can easily go I'm not willing to buy anything more and then we're saying yes to the motion and and no to the buying lots of toys and that then that that's easier and at times it's harder when it touches something for me. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. And I think loving limits is the hardest aspect of aware parenting to really embody. And I was having a conversation in, in one of the communities that I'm in today around this with one of the members of the community asking Marion and I about, about loving limits in relation to something that she was experiencing with her son. And I, and I, I really liked how you were talking about how our experience as ch- children of yeses and nos and our ability to actually have strong yeses and nos and have them heard and respected then impacts so much on our ability to offer yeses and nos to our children. And I think what is so helpful is for us to get our feelings out of the way around things and to to, to really share all the different things that might be coming up in relation to whatever it is that we're struggling with. So it might be, and food is quite a common one. Screens is another really common one. And so having the opportunity to really talk through with somebody else, all the different things that are coming up, the younger parts that might need some support and some listening around it, and the current parts and what we're worried about. And and we might be going off into into real fear and catastrophizing around dopamine or addiction and, and all those other things in relation to screens or about the violence or about all these other things, but just getting the opportunity to really dive into that deeply with loving support of someone else. And then we come out of the other side of that. And often for me, that's with my listening partner. And I come out the other side and I'm really, really clear about what I've got a yes for and what I've got a no for, what's really non-negotiable in terms of what I really believe about this particular thing. And then from that place, we can actually offer a limit and, and continue to hold the limit much, much easier and our children are more likely to to come up against it and offload the feelings rather than to try to get around the limit somehow, which which they often do, when we've got this real clarity and we're really offering the limit in a way that our children really understand and that feels true and really authentic for us. But my God, that's a difficult process. It is. It's so difficult. And I- You can often see in different places in parenting and the coaching world setting boundaries and how different a boundary is from a loving limit. Mm -hmm. And the loving limit is not this fixed place in time, like you will get off your screen at five o'clock kind of thing, as opposed to I can see you're holding in emotions. I'm not willing for you to be on screens at the moment. And that is that process of when we heal that coming back into connection with our yes and no. So it's like, yes, here, no, there, yes, here, no, there. And and that's so interwoven into that loving limits that it becomes this process of being in relation and in connection to our children all the time, of recognizing what's happening for us in our yes and no, what's happening for them in their yes and no, and how the emotions play between all of this and what is needing to be heard and healed both for us and our children and it brings this 
kind of complexity and connection of relating that is a whole nother layer as opposed to these things. I don't want my child to be on screens because screens are bad and they learn all these bad things or all these judgments that we can have about the harm they might be doing as opposed to trusting our children's knowing of when they're listening, what they're getting from it. And it's been a hard journey for me, I must admit, with screens, kind of having all these judgments, being someone who's of a generation where they didn't exist, to watching my daughter engage with them, but blown away by her knowledge and capacity and all these things that she has got from this world in which she sits. And it's really kind of shifted me into a place of like, you know, change happens and people get different things in different times. They were saying with radio when it came out, no one would do anything but listen to the radio. And yet we integrated with that. And I think when change takes place and there's a lot of trauma, then we interact with it in a way that's not necessarily as connected and emotionally intelligent. But when we heal their emotions and when our children get to express their emotions, they interact with this new technology in a kind of grounded, connected way and really benefit from that interaction, as opposed to when they've got a lot of, we've got a lot of trauma, a lot of unprocessed feelings, we interact with it in a different way. Mm. Yes, and so much compassion, just as you were talking about compassion for ourselves and our protective behaviors that we we adapt, but also, yeah, so much compassion to ourselves navigating all of these things because, yeah, it's so hard. It's so hard. Yeah. Megan, is there anything else that you would love to share before we come towards the end of this beautiful conversation? Is there anything else that you feel particularly passionate about or would love to support people to understand more? It's been the most beautiful conversation. I've really, really loved it. And it feels so full and beautifully complete. Okay. All right. So let us know then, how can people find out more about you? Where do you share your work? And and how can people get in touch? What sort of offerings do you have for for people who might want to get in touch with you? Thank you for the invitation. My website is going through a lot of iterations and and is coming and I don't know when that will be so most of what I share is on social media on Facebook on Instagram and on LinkedIn and the holdings that I have are really there's a one-on-one space where I work with people growing their businesses and bringing them into the world in a way that's deeply connected with themselves and and also holding parents. And then there's more long-term holding because I'm really working with the parents who are wanting to hold their own trauma as a therapist, as somebody who understands aware parenting. So it's not so much parents coming necessarily and going, I want my child to, I want help with my child doing these things. It's more I'm really struggling to actually put some of these practices in place because I can feel parts are being touched in me. So it's working with somebody who has their aware parenting perspective, who's not going to then, as you healing, go, oh, well, your child just has to deal with that or something like that, which can be quite jarring when you're trying to heal yourself, having somebody respond to you in a way that doesn't align with your parenting values. So it's more specific in what I offer parents. And then I have a beautiful membership as one of my entry-level places, which is a lovely place to come. And I work with people 
at the beginning of the call each month, I will work with a couple of people and I will also answer any questions. So it's a place you can bring questions about your understanding of trauma, questions about working with a client maybe and wondering what's happening. It's a place to bring, it's really a container that I'm wanting to hold everything, a deeply safe place that people can come. So that's for a year. So I open the doors to that twice a year and then the container um, is for a year and some people stay longer and some people leave. But we can talk about parenting, any of the questions that come up about how trauma is touching us in different places. My deep passion and everything that I was talking about earlier is really working with people who hold other people so that they can hold them in a way, not as a therapist, you know, not to be trained them as therapists, but more to train them bringing whatever they bring, whatever incredible work they bring into the world. But when they notice that there is trauma coming up for a client, that there are big feelings, they have a capacity to hold that person, not purely in a listening and being there, but in a deep, connected way that can actually bring healing. And to hold groups in a way that really understands trauma, understands how to start, how to end, how to hold the container in its fullness. So that's my kind of main training that I bring to the world and I hold. Sounds so beautiful. So I'll put in the links to your uh, social media on the on the show in the show notes. So thank you for that. And the last thing that I always ask is, what would you love to have known at the beginning of the process of parenthood that you now understand? Or what would you say to somebody at the beginning of their aware parenting journey that that would be helpful to to have known right at that beginning stage? Such a beautiful question. And it's read so beautifully from the beginning of where we started to finishing here, because one of the things I said in the beginning was what was so profound for me with Aletha's work was recognizing that children need to express emotions exactly the same as adults do, that there's no difference from the baby to the adult. And so often in so many places, we can say something's different for a child for some reason. And I think that's the beautiful work that Aletha brings is like, there is no difference. And that's, I would love to have held that more deeply when my daughter was born and to be able to, to listen to her in each moment and, and hold those beautiful feelings she had. Mm. I love that. Yes, yes, yes. It's so helpful, isn't it? So helpful. Well, Megan, I've enjoyed this conversation so much. Thank you for making time to talk to us. I really appreciate all of the sharing about trauma and how to support parents with their own healing as well as supporting their children. So thank you very much. I have too. It's been delicious and delightful and glorious and everything all at once. Thank you so much. And I love the beautiful work that you bring and everything you talk about. It's profoundly changing to the world we're in. Thank you so much. I look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm-hmm.